Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Amen. Screwdrivers are, are kind of funny. They're kind of interesting things, right? They come in different shapes and different sizes. They have different heads on them. And really, the head isn't too hard. You just match that up to the shape that's on the screw. It's those other factors that sometimes are hard to determine what's going to be best for the job. I can remember one time I was taking apart um, some furniture for my dad, and he suggested that I take a, a long-handled screwdriver and go take the screws out of this, this table or bench. And so naturally, I went and took the shortest, stubbiest screwdriver that I could. And after struggling and taking out a couple screws and, and being frustrated, I went and got a long-handled screwdriver. Take the master at his word, right? Maybe the guy who gave you the job, the guy who has a little experience, the guy who's giving you direction, knows a little something about what he's saying. It's especially important to take the master at his word when we're listening to a lesson from Jesus. Today we see Jesus on the shores of the Sea of Galilee teaching a lesson to Peter. And Peter didn't really want to take Jesus' words at first. He wasn't so sure about them. There was a little hesitation. But he learned a great lesson about what it means to take the master at his word. We read from Luke chapter 5. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by the fishermen, who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats, so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. These are the words of our Lord. Did you catch that word that Peter used when he, he spoke to Jesus? He said, Master. What was it that made Peter call Jesus Master? After all, shouldn't Peter have been the Master? He was the fisherman. He no, no doubt knew much more about the practices of fishing than Jesus did. Jesus was a carpenter, right? And yet, Peter calls him 
master. So put yourself in Peter's sandals for a moment now. You've been out all night long, working hard. You've been putting the nets down and bringing them back up, only to find that there's nothing in them. Again and again, you repeat this process, nets down in the water, nets up, nothing in there. You do that until it's finally time where where dawn is breaking and and it's time to call it quits. You're just not going to catch anything tonight. And so you and your partners, you head into shore, you bring the boats up on the shore and you're, you're cleaning the nets, you're organizing everything neatly, putting it away until the next time to go out. And then Jesus comes along on the shore and he's teaching and there's a huge crowd and they're just pushing up against Jesus so closely. And so he asks you to take your boat and put it out a little ways from the shore so that he can preach to those people more effectively, so that everyone can hear him well. And that's not really a big deal. You put your boat out there and and you let Jesus teach. But then, when he's done teaching, Jesus says something kind of strange to you. He says, go put out into the deep water and let your nets down for a catch. What? Doesn't Jesus know that you were just out all night long working hard? Does Jesus think that we fishermen don't know what we're doing? But even though there's some hesitation... Peter says, Master, we haven't worked hard, but at your word, because you say so, we'll go out. Now, Jesus wasn't just some random guru walking along the shore that commandeered someone's boat and then said, let's go fishing after I got done teaching. No, Peter was familiar with Jesus. He knew something about him. Because Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law. In In fact, that's the story that just precedes this story in in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, and in fact, he healed a number of people, and many of them were demon-possessed. So Peter knew Jesus, or at least he knew something about him. He was familiar with his power, and, and that's what moved him to say, At your word, because you say so, we'll go out and do this. We'll go out and do this thing that sounds kind of strange to me. We'll go do this thing that, honestly, if I were making a choice, we wouldn't go do. But at your word, let's go. So put yourself in Peter's place again. You're going out from the shore, out to the deep water, And you're letting down those nets which you had so nicely cleaned and put away and organized, thinking that you weren't going to use them for a little while. You let the nets down. You go through the process and you pull them up to find that this time the nets are full. It's a surprise for sure, but it's a pleasant surprise. And as you start hauling in the fish, you realize this is actually one of your greatest catches ever because... All these fish don't even fit in your own boat. You need to call over your partners in their boat so that you can put all of the fish in these two boats. 
But then, as you're surveying this, this mass of fish that you're hauling up out of the sea, you begin to realize that there's so many fish, your boats are actually beginning to sink. And that's when it dawns on you. This is a miracle. And there's only one person who could be responsible for it. It's Jesus, the man who you had seen heal your mother-in-law, heal multitudes of people, and drive demons out. And the realization hits you like a sack of bricks. Because you've seen the divine power of the Messiah, and it shakes you to the core because you realize just how much you're lacking in comparison to the man who's there in your boat with you. You realize that you are not perfect as the Lord, your heavenly Father, is perfect. You realize that you have no power in comparison to him. And that's terrifying. And so you do the only thing that you can think of. You you try to get that bright light shining on the darkness of your heart to go away from you. And you say, Lord, go away from me, for I am a sinful man. But Jesus doesn't go away. He doesn't just remove the thing that's exposing Peter's sinfulness. He removes the sin itself. He absolves Peter. He says, don't be afraid. This might call to mind uh, the scenes from Isaiah when the Lord called Isaiah to be his prophet. Isaiah was a man who in the presence of the Lord said, woe to me, I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people with unclean lips, and I've seen the Lord. But God had that angel bring down the hot coal and touch it to Isaiah's lips and said, See, I have purified your lips. And God sent him out as his prophet among the people of Israel. So also here, Jesus says, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Jesus calmed Peter's fears, forgave him of his sins, and sent him out on a mission. So what's the lesson of this miracle? Well, Jesus was showing Peter and those others who he would call his disciples that he was going to use them as his gospel ministers. And he kept them from catching any fish during the night, during the usual time, so that he could show them that even in the most unlikely of circumstances, in the middle of the day, Jesus would bless their efforts as he willed. And so there's a lesson there for all of us to take to heart. And this lesson, this miracle, serves to dispel all of our doubts about how it operates, about how this gospel mission is going to work. Because we have doubts, right? There's doubts. Let's talk about those doubts, right? There's probably the doubt that all of us have as to whether church can really survive and exist in the world that we live in today. Many people call America a post-Christian society. That is to say that most people 
don't have a basic Bible knowledge. Most people don't really care too much about God, and, and people really aren't going to church that much anymore. In fact, people are leaving the church in herds. They're going away from the church in droves. And, and that's the world we live in where we wonder whether our church is going to survive. Maybe we even wonder if the concept of church at all can survive. And then if we think that I'm going to actually go out and talk to these people who have no church background or, or at the very least aren't interested in coming into a building to sit with people in pews and listen to a preacher talk to them from a pulpit up front, if I go out and talk to that person, is anything really going to happen? If I go talk to the 20-something agnostic who has spurned the church background that he grew up in and now has replaced that organized church background with some kind of piecemeal, personal spirituality that, that doesn't ascribe, subscribe to really any particular belief, am I going to be able to talk to him, bring him the word that says the Bible is about Jesus and his love and eternal life for you and expect that anything is going to happen? Can I go to my neighbor and invite him or her to church with me to come and listen to the preacher speak about the love that Christ has for every soul and that God wants all men to be saved and expect that that person is going to do anything other than look at me with a strange look, maybe make that relationship be on thin ice for the rest of the time that I live next to my neighbor can I expect any positive results from sharing my faith? Well, what does this miracle of the miraculous catch tell you? Yes. Yes, you can go out and spread that word and expect there to be a result. And you have to look no further than yourself to see the power of God's word at work. Because think of the times when you know you've sinned. Think of the times when God was not close by to your thoughts and emotions. Think of those times and think whether or not you would ever expect yourself to be sitting in the pews here listening to the words of God. And yet here you are. Because God has drawn you here through the power of his word. So take the master at his word when he tells you that this world is ripe for the harvest and the fields are waiting. And take him at his word in regard to his work. Because he's given you the tool that you need to do his work. What is his tool? What is his screwdriver? What's, what's his fishing pole? It's that powerful word that he's given to us in the Bible. Now, last week was the Super Bowl. I'm sure many of you watched it. Did you know that it drew an audience of almost 98 million people here in the United States? And did you know that those 30-second commercials that everyone crowds around the TV to watch, 
just 30 seconds of advertisement time cost about $5 million. Now, what does that tell you? Well, it tells you at least two things. One, the advertisers really want to get their message out to as many people as possible. And two, it tells you that they put a lot of faith in just words and pictures to get their message out there. Now, as Christians sitting here, hearing this, how do we apply this to ourselves? Well, of course, don't we want to reach out to as many people as we possibly can? And the answer, I'm sure, is, is yes. But we don't have to be as concerned as those advertisers who do all their market research and look at their target audiences and, and work carefully and diligently to craft just the perfect ad. Because we have the gospel, which we know will work in every circumstance. The makers of those ads put their ads out there hoping that they will get an effect based on nothing more than that word and that picture. And even when they try as hard as they can to, to reach that target audience, there's no telling if their ad will be overshadowed by one that's more catchy. There's no telling if they misinterpreted what their target audience really wanted to hear. But with the gospel, we know that it's effective in and of itself. We know that because God tells us as much. So is the word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish the purpose for which I sent it and achieve what I desire. Isaiah 55, 11. God makes a promise to us, and that promise is not hollow. Peter found that out on the day of Pentecost when he preached to the people in the city of Jerusalem. He preached words about Christ, and even though some people mocked, people were hostile to the message, 3,000 were added to their number of believers on that day. That's the power of the word. Peter found that out on Pentecost. Where will we see that at work? As Christians, what is our purpose on this earth? Why does God leave us here when we have so many questions? Well, first and foremost, our purpose, our goal, is to be gospel ministers, gospel servants to all those around us. Even the Christian who is stuck in the hospital bed wondering why she is still on this earth is here to be a gospel servant because God hasn't yet chosen to take her to be home with her. It'd be much easier for God to just make believers and take them to heaven because then they don't have to deal with the suffering. Then they don't have to deal with temptation. There's no fears of falling away or of, of being persecuted but that's not what God does because he has chosen to use us as his gospel ministers. He didn't need to need us to do this work, but he chose to need us to do his work. And so for each and every one of us, God has us here to serve him in one way or another 
by proclaiming his gospel. And now having heard that, don't feel compelled on the basis of of guilt or on the basis of of a command that you need to go out and start just preaching in the streets because you haven't been doing enough at this point. Because that's a law motivation. And even if it gets you out there on one day, the next day it's going to cut you down and show you just how much you've failed. But the good news is, Jesus doesn't make it a law motivation for us to go out and preach his gospel. He attaches it to the very promises of the gospel. Remember what he said to Peter? Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. The mission is connected with the gospel. They go hand in hand. You can't separate them from one another. When your heart is filled up with the gospel, it it overflows and spills out, touching numerous other people. There's a story in John chapter 21 that comes after Jesus' resurrection, and I think this is going to sound kind of familiar to you. Simon Peter, Thomas, known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter said. And they said, we'll go with you. And so they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And maybe you remember the rest of the story. Peter jumps out of the boat and rushes to the shore to meet Jesus. And the disciples quickly bring the boat in, towing their large net of fish after them. So why did Jesus provide the disciples with a miraculous catch of fish a second time? You might also remember that after this event, Jesus speaks to Peter and asks him if he loves him. Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. And what's Jesus' response? Feed my lambs. After his resurrection, Jesus was reinstating grace to disciples who had abandoned him at his arrest and at his crucifixion. He was reinstating them into grace, but also reinstating the mission that he gave to them. And so he provided them with a second miraculous catch of fish to demonstrate to them just how that mission would work. He questioned Peter and told Peter to feed his lambs to reinstate that mission. And that's the mission that we have. It's a mission that we have the privilege of doing until the end of our lives when Jesus takes us to be with him in heaven. One more fishing illustration before we close. Maybe you've had some experience fishing with 
trot lines or, or nets or maybe little cages that trap crustaceans or, or some other small sea creatures. And what do you do with those? You set them up, you, you draw your line out, you put your floats out, you put the net in the water, and then you go and leave it. And you go back out and you can find that they're full of fish or, or whatever creature you were looking for. And maybe you even come across an old trap that someone else left in the water. And you can find that there's still fish caught up in those old abandoned nets. That's how Jesus' word works. When you put it out there, when you speak that word to someone, you don't know when it's going to catch a person. It may be days, weeks, months, years later. But that's the comfort of it all. That's the joy of it all. Is that when you take Jesus' word out into the world, you know that he's the one who's going to make it work. And that he is going to make it work. So go out in joy, letting that gospel joy of your heart overflow to touch all those that you come into contact with. And one day in heaven, you'll get to see just how many people you were able to catch with that word of God by his grace. Amen.